0: All right, we left off at uh, verse 13 of Thessalonians chapter 2. Um, moving through this rapid pace, amen. Uh, let's open in a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for the word. We thank you, Lord, for this letter. Thank you, Lord, for the encouragement, Lord, that it was to the people, to the Thessalonians, and Lord, and what it is to us. Lord, may we glean things out of your word tonight. Lord, let us be grafted, and Lord, let it have its work in our hearts, Lord, for we do believe that you are the Son of God, and Holy Spirit, you are our teacher, and we give reverence to you tonight. And all the saints say, amen. 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 All right, quick review, beginning of chapter two, Paul laid out a little outline of how he was as a minister. And a lot of times as a a church, we go to Titus or maybe the letters of Timothy to look for our qualifications as a minister. But I think there's some really nice qualifications right there in chapter two that he laid out for us as well. Um, In uh, just a quick review, remember he said he he had boldness and he suffered for the things of the gospel. Um, Verse one and two. Verse three, um, he was honest and he was pure. Uh, Verse 4, he was trustworthy and he was faithful. Uh, Verse 5, he used simple speech and he was unselfish in his acts. Verse 6, he was humble and he considered others. Verse 7 and 8 describes him as being gentle and full of love like a nursing mother. Is the picture that he painted for us, verse nine? He had self. He was self-sacrificing, um, a working brother. Verse ten. He was blameless in his conduct. And verse eleven and twelve, he had parental care in his training. Remember, we said he said he exhorted, he comforted, and he charged. Praise God. You need all of those, you know, and you need gentleness, and. We can't just be always gentle. You need to charge every now and then. But we can't always be charging, praise God. Amen? Sometimes we need to be nurturing. Hallelujah. So, nice little... So, if you want to look for uh, um, some qualifications for your own life as a minister of the gospel, the first 12 verses of chapter 2 is a good place to uh, ask God to help you with. All right. So, verse 13... I'm in the King James. That's the, one, that's the one Paul wrote. Yeah, you're right. Pull up the King Jimmy. Praise God. All right, verse 13 now it says Now for this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you have heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God which effectually works also in you that believe. All right, praise God. So when, we, when they hear the teaching, when we hear the preaching, you know, I remember when I used to serve under my dad, it was sometimes very easy to slip into, oh, that's just dad speaking. You know, that's just somebody I know. But we cannot do that. We have to receive it as the word of God and the word of truth. You know, no matter where it's coming from. You know, one of the things he used to teach me is you've got to have the word of God, whether it be on paper plates or China plates. You know, you don't. I mean, if it's the word of God, it's the word of God. And Paul or a pastor preached like that um, in his Sunday message, the vessels of honor. How many remember that message? You know, it doesn't matter the vessel that the Lord is using. You have to have, you have to receive it as the word of God. All right. And when you receive it as the word of God, look what it says there in the very end of that verse, it effectually worketh, effectually, it has an effect. You know, I don't know what it is about this Bible, man. But it just has a supernatural way of growing the believer. I remember one time when I was ministering in England, we had a girl, young girl, come into our our cafe there that the church ran. And she came in there and she was full of the zeal of the Lord. I mean, she loved Jesus. She was so excited. But her doctrine was, was granola doctrine. You know what granola doctrine is? It's flaky, full of fruits and nuts. All right. It was it was that granola doctrine. She had all the all the all the sincerity of the world, but she just didn't have no Bible, man. And so it didn't take but about six months just sitting under the word of God like you guys are doing tonight. And boy, it just and we didn't even do anything. It just the word of God being taught and read. And going in just changes you. You know, what does Hebrews say? We learned in here that Hebrews, as the word of God, what does it do? It's able to divide. Right. What does it say in Hebrews? What is that? Hebrews 4. Let's go there real quick. I don't want to misquote it. Hebrews 4. Hebrews what? 12. Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, what's the verse there? 12, 12. Hebrews 4.12. 4.12, there we go. 4.12. All right, Hebrews 4.12. Say amen if you're there, amen. amen. All right, look at that. Now, for the word of God is quick. That word quick there is living. See, it's alive. Remember, these words are just not good ideas or the thoughts of men that they decided to put on paper. This word of God is the very living word of God that made us alive. Remember, it says, In Adam, he breathed life into Adam, and Adam became a what? A living soul. He breathed into him, didn't he? And then the scripture says, the the word of God, that all scripture is what inspired or that literal translation is God breathed. All scripture is God breathed, it says. So, this God-breathed word is the same thing that gave Adam life. It's the same thing that gave us life. And that's why Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of my mouth. Because it's that life-giving word. And it's, it's like miracle grow. I mean, somehow or another, as it gets in you, you just supernaturally change as an individual. Amen. Because look what, if you're finishing here in 4.12, it says, The word of God, it's quick or living, and it's powerful. And it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing, it, go, it pierces, even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit in the joints and the marrow. Now look at that. It pierces, it divides soul, spirit, and body or flesh. Joints and marrow, it calls it there. So the word of God it, it's able to discern what is flesh, what is soulish, and what is spiritual. You know, a lot of times people are led out of their soul, out of their out of their soulish feelings, but their soulish feelings are not the word according to God's word. They have good intentions, they mean well, they may be very sympathetic to a person's needs, but if they're not led through the Word, and they're led by their soul, their soulish feelings, then things can get messed up, amen? That's why we need the Word of God to come in and divide, pierce, divide between spirit, soul, and body, amen? And the thing is, it's, I like how he says there that it goes between the joints and the marrow. The joints and the marrow. Right in the, the small places, the marrow is like, that's like in the very in the part of the bone, isn't it? Yeah. And isn't the marrow like some of the most, uh, if you have bad marrow in your body, it, the whole body suffers, doesn't it? The marrow is a vital, important part of the body, amen? Amen. And um, there's another scripture, I think it says that the word of God is flesh to my, is life unto my bones, it says. So anyway, it's also, look at there, it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And that is why we have to have a daily diet of the scriptures because the Bible says the heart of man is deceitfully wicked. Who could know it? We're always trying to fool ourselves that we're better than we really are. You know what I mean? But the word of God will put me in check real fast. All right. So that's how it effectually works. Okay. So they received that word from Paul as the word of God. And it was quicker than a two-edged sword doing its job. Amen. All right. Now, verse 14, back to Thessalonians, it says, for you, brethren... You became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For you also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews. All right. We discussed that pretty thoroughly in the beginning of the book. The Thessalonians, they suffered affliction for what they believed. Amen. They went through persecution. Just And Paul said, just like I was persecuted by my own countrymen, you guys were persecuted by your own countrymen for forsaking the temples of Athena, for, for forsaken the orgies, for forsaken the brawls and the pagan worship. You were persecuted for coming to God and fashioning yourselves in holiness. Amen. And how many, of you know, you can tell when you're really starting to live a holy life because you get persecuted Because your holiness on your life, it makes other people around you uncomfortable. All right? And then what do they always try to do? They always try to put it on you. That it's your fault. That you're the reason why you're making them feel bad. Hey, I didn't sign up for this thing to make other people feel bad. Did you? I just know the Bible says, walk ye, be holy because I'm holy. And so we try to be like our father and... All of a sudden, the person next to us gets a complex because all of a sudden we're trying to make them look bad. No, you already were bad. Right. And so was I, praise God. All right, so they're receiving some affliction here from their own countrymen. Who Now look at this now. Verse 15. He's talking about the Jews here. He says... For you also suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us, and they please not God. That's powerful. They please not God. And are contrary to all men. Remember what pastor taught us in the Romans? How do you please God? Faith. Faith. That's how you please God. What's the work of God? How do you work the works of God? Believe on him whom he has sent. So they were not working the works of God, and they were not um, pleasing God because they did not have faith in the one whom he had sent. As a matter of fact, they killed him. And it says, and he, they killed their own prophets. And they have persecuted us, Paul said. Look at that at the last part of that verse. And they are contrary to all men all men forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved. Can you imagine? Can you imagine swimming in an ocean and having two air tanks on your back and you see somebody chained to a sea floor, and you have the ability to give them air? oxygen so they can survive, but yet you deny them. Kind of reminds me of this of the story of the, the Good Samaritan. It says the high priest passed by, a Levite passed by and no one would help their neighbor. No one would lead them to Christ. Another thing the Romans just keeps coming up tonight. Another thing we learned in Romans is is that not only are they sinners, but they take pleasure in showing others how to do the same things. What's that old saying that they say, um, uh, misery loves company or something like that? You know you know that old saying, misery loves company? You know, you, that's, I mean, I don't know about you, but when I was in the world, boy, that's, I like to get around the, the guys that like to be just as miserable and just as strung out as I was. Because it made me feel better, especially if I was in a little bit better shape than they were. <laughs> so, in verse 16, they forbid us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sins always, for the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. And that's what the book of, the Re- of Revelation is all about it's about revenge on those that killed his son that persecuted his saints, that slayed his prophets, and that persecuted those that believe in him. Amen? Amen. And that's what it's all about. Now, he says in verse 17, But we, brethren, being taken from you a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Remember the story? He was there in Thessalonica, but he had to flee, just like he had to flee um, Philippi. You know, he was only there for three weeks. Man, they were believing. People were getting saved. They were in the middle of revival. Imagine you being in the middle of revival People are getting saved, delivered, healed, believing in the gospel. You're having great Bible studies morning and evening. And all of a sudden, the the council from the Jewish synagogue are knocking on your door with flames and pitchforks. And they want to kill you. They broke up the revival. And they said, Paul, you got to get out of here. So he ran. He hightailed it to Athens, running for his life. But always looking back, can you always just, oh, man, I wish I would had more time with them wish I could have been with them more that's why did I have to get out of there so fast and he's just longing to see him he says in verse 18 wherefore we would have come unto you even i paul once again but satan had hindered us you know we don't have we really as a body of christ paul is our example to the gentiles amen he wrote two thirds of the New Testament, and if you really want to know how we're to be, how to be Christ-like, Paul said in Hebrews, "Follow me as I have followed Christ." Amen. Now I want to show you a few things that Paul suffered here, and he lists them in 2 Corinthians chapter eleven. So turn with me to two Cor eleven twenty-three. Second Corinthians chapter eleven. Verse 23. Um, I, you know what? I think the best place to start this is in 21. Paul says, Now, I speak as concerning reproach, as though we had been weak. Howbeit, whereinsoever any is bold, I speak foolishly now, I am bold also. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? I am too. Are they the seed of Abraham? Well, so am I. Paul making a defense here, because they were always attacking his character, always trying to pull him down, that he was not qualified. I mean, I can't think of anybody else that was even more qualified. But, you know, when you're doing a good work for Christ and you're building his kingdom, you're always going to have somebody come against you and try to assassinate your character or your qualifications. You don't have enough credentials, brother. Or they'll try to say that you're a fraud or that you're corrupt. All right. Always happens. Think about the story when um, Nehemiah went to go build the walls. Look, this guy was just a wine bearer in the king's court, but had a God-given passion to see Jerusalem have its walls reconstructed. And he just went there and just saw, you know, as, 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 as just normal wisdom, like, hey, we can have a beautiful temple in this place, but if we don't do something about these walls, man... They're just going to come in here and ransack everything we do. So he just begin to start putting things together, putting the walls together, doing a little bit of building. And then the first thing they start doing is the neighbors around them get a little jealous because they see a little progress, see a little bit of fruit in his life. And all of a sudden they're trying to say, he's not qualified. Where are your credentials? They asked. And then they start trying to assassinate his character. Oh, he's only doing this for his own good so that he can make a name for himself. Make a name for himself. This guy was in the Trump Tower of Babylon living on the luxuries of life. He didn't need to, you know, improve himself. He was in the king's courts. Well, it was just an expression. I'm just trying to say he was in lavish luxury. Amen. So anyway, but the same thing is happening to Paul here. You know, Paul's just trying to be obedient to the Lord. He's he's ministering the gospel and they're just assassinating his character, trying to pull down his credentials. And then he lists some credentials right here in verse 23. First, he says, are they ministers of Christ? Once again, I speak as a fool. In other words, he's saying, you know, I'm just a little under the collar here. I'm kind of under. I'm, you know, I'm not really in the spirit. Here's what he's saying. Because he's a little bit he's, he's He's pretty mad. He's pretty mad in this paragraph. Look at this. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. He says, I am more. In other words, these guys haven't done anything compared to what I'm doing. He says, and he doesn't really do this. He's not a bragging man, but he had to, because the Corinthians, he poured his life and blood in the Corinthians. All of a sudden, they're starting to say, well, I don't know whether Paul, we should really follow him. I'm of Apollos, I'm of Peter, I'm of John. And they started trying to put labels. Hey man, I'm of T.D. Jakes, man. I'm a Kenneth Copeland guy. I'm a Rodney Harry Brown guy. You know, oh, I'm a, you know, whoever guy. You know, that's not what it's about. The New Testament is very clear about that. We can't go around name-dropping who we like and who we follow. I don't follow T.D. Jakes or Kenneth Copeland. We follow Christ Jesus. Amen? And they are humble servants of the Most High, and that's how they're to be treated as such. Not as some, you know, some prince. So, got awful quiet in here, but you know, it's getting bad that, isn't it? It's getting bad. So, anyway... And so this is what he says to him he says I'm more than these guys in labors I'm more abundant I've done more labor than these guys have in stripes have they been beaten have they been lashed he said in stripes above measure I've had more stripes put on my back than is even than I even deserved In prison? I've been in prison a lot more. I've been locked up much more than these guys have for Christ Jesus' sake. He said, in death, often. And you guys know, you know, Paul was stoned to death. Paul literally was stoned to death. And he said, in one of his letters, he said, he said, when I I had an out-of-body experience, he said, whether in the body, I don't know. He said, but I was taken up into the third heaven. You know, the Lord brought him back, praise God. Amen. But, you know, he, he died. He literally died and, and the Lord resuscitated him. So he died for his for his beliefs. Amen. Of the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes, save one. Five times. So this guy has had two over 200 lashes, save one. Fine. Huh? Five times I received 40 stripes. Yeah, 40 minus okay, so not, well, how, many, how many? 195? What's five, what's, what's five times 40? 200 minus five. 195 lashes. Yeah. How many lashes have you received for Christ? <laughs> I haven't got a single one on my back. Purple. 25, he says, Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Three times I suffered shipwreck. A night and day, a night and a day, I was in the deep. So he was out to sea floating for a full 24 hours, wondering what was going to happen. In journeying or in miles, walking often. Paul put some miles down, didn't he? In his missionary journeys. In perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness, in painfulness, in watching, often in hunger and thirst, in fasting, often in cold and nakedness. Beside those things, verse 28, that are without that which comes upon me daily, the care of all the church. So amongst even all these physical things, spiritually, he was birthing children. He was caring for people's souls. You know, when God told him that his responsibility was preached to the Gentiles... He took it seriously. You know, God, if I give me that, huh? give me that overwhelming burden. So, you know, those are just some of the things that Satan tried to hinder him from doing things. Back to our Thessalonians. Verse 19. 1 Thessalonians 2.19 says, So for what is our hope or our joy or our crown of rejoicing? You know, I've been through all these things. What good is it? I mean, on the outside, it certainly doesn't look like it's going to be much payday in this life. Amen. He says, or what is a crown of rejoicing? Are not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. So if Paul's saying, hey, I've suffered all those things that I just listed in Corinthians. What, what, what am I getting out of it? What am I looking forward to? Why can't I keep doing it? It says he got whipped, what, 40 lashes five times. Why didn't he stop after the first time? Why didn't he just say, man, this is too much? You know, after the first shipwreck, why didn't he just say, Man, I've had enough of this. He had a revelation. What kept him going? He had, he had a revelation. The mystery of the revelation of the translated saints that will meet Jesus Christ in the air. The book is full of it. God gave Paul the revealed mystery that when Jesus Christ comes back, he will gather the saints together with him, and we will be with him together in the cloud. And so what he's saying is, is, what I'll tell you what keeps me going. The fact that you will be with me in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming. Amen. That's what kept him going. Every city he went to, every person that he believed that believed and he needed to preach and keep building their faith, he was just waiting and hoping and wanting and longing that when Jesus Christ comes back, that they are going to be with him, with the Lord in the presence of the Lord at his coming. You know, that's us. You know, that's the hope. You know Those that have died for the gospel for our sake, they didn't care what about their, their creature comforts. They wanted to make sure that we made the rapture, that we made the second coming of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Yeah. Now, if you was to do a Bible study and a, a research in your phone right now, and you was to do a, a word lookup in the Bible for the word rapture, how many know you wouldn't find the word rapture? It's not in the New Testament. It's nowhere, it's nowhere there, okay? A more true English translation, we should just use caught up, caught up together. Uh, catching away is the English translation. The word they got the word rapture f- from, is, go with me for verse uh, chapter four real fast, same, same book. Um, and First Thessalonians, and we're going to go to verse 17, 417. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. All right? That word caught up is a word in the Greek called harpazo. All right? Well, when the Bible was translated in from Greek to Latin, because remember, if you study your church history out, you had the church, but then the church had a split between the Western and the Eastern, and the Western was Latin and the Eastern was Greek. That's where we got our Greek Orthodox branches, all right? The Greek Orthodox Church was based in Constantinople. The Catholic Church was Latin. They were based in Rome. And so the, the the Eastern Church had their translation of Greek, and the Western Church had their translation into Latin. Well, when Jerome translated the new the Greek uh, Bible into Latin, in that word there, caught up or harpazo, they tra- the Latin word for that is rapturia, which is where we get our word rapture. And how in the world that. We don't even speak Latin. I've never heard anybody in church since I've been born again say, go to your Latin uh, concordance. And, you know, we never we always go to the Greek, don't we? So I don't know how the word rapture stayed in our church lingo when we're referring to the catching away of the saints. But, you know, I said it. Most people in here have heard it before. And we just always said rapture. But as a church, we do have to be careful with words like that because somebody that comes in and doesn't know the lingo, they won't know what we're talking about. And if somebody in here who's not very boisterous hears words and then they go back to their New Testament and try to find the word in the Bible to try to study it out like a Berean, they're not going to find that word. So, you know, sometimes catchy phrases in the church can kind of hinder us a little bit. Amen. So um, that's one of them. We'll be talking about a, a few others. But a more correct term there um, for rapture would be caught up, all right, or being snatched away. Um, some, some study Bibles and, and dictionaries even describe it, that it has the force of reaching in and pulling up like a carrot or a potato, you know, when you pull a carrot out of the ground, you have to use force, don't you? I mean, you're pulling your and it's almost like a snatching away is another way of saying it. You know, it's going to be a pretty violent act. I mean, it's going to be. Woof. You know, it's going to take the world by surprise. You know, it's not going to be like we see in Greece where they're going up with these little angel wings like little cherubims. I mean, it's going to be it's going to be quite quite the scene, man. So anyway, um, so that's what he's talking about. He's, he's looking forward to um, seeing the saints, and that's his joy, and that's his glory. Amen? All right, chapter 3. Now, wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone and send Timothy our brother... So in other words, they're really concerned about these guys, how they're doing. Are they going to make it? Obviously, it was too dangerous for Paul to go back. So they sent Timothy. And he says, our brother and a minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ. What did they send him to do? To establish, to comfort concerning their faith. Amen. You know, to make sure that they're on solid ground. To make sure that the soil's deep like Jesus taught. You know, the parable of the soil. You know, to make sure it wasn't in thorny ground. To make sure it wasn't on stony ground. To make sure that the word wasn't on the roadside. But that they were in good soil, amen. That they could grow as Christians. To establish them. But also comfort them in their affliction. Saying, hey, look guys. We suffer too. Now it's interesting. He says here in a second, look at this. He says, that no man should be moved by the afflictions, verse 3. For yourselves know, for yourselves know, that we are what? Appointed thereunto. I mean that's a that is a heavy trip, isn't it? We're actually afflictions. We're appointed to afflictions. Didn't Jesus say we would have tribulation? He said we would have hard times. as a matter of fact when the when the disciples went out to spread the word when they were when they were beaten or or afflicted. They counted it joy that they could receive the same kind of suffering that the Lord has. They were walking out laughing and singing praises and kicking the dust off their feet as they went, but counting it a privilege to actually be afflicted like our master was. Man, this is powerful stuff. For yourselves know that we're appointed to affliction. Verse four, for verily when we were with you, We told you before that we should suffer what? Tribulation, Tribulation, even as it came to pass, and you know. All right, so we know in verse, look, what does verse 4 say? We shall suffer what? Tribulation, Tribulation. okay? Now flip over to chapter 1. Same verse. Same book, I mean. One sec, Mike. Let me just finish this point, and I'll go to your question. All right, so verse 4 of chapter 3 says we were appointed to tribulation. Now look at verse 10. Now of chapter 1, we wait for a son from heaven, whom whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the what? Wrath Wrath to come. (laughs) So Paul makes a very clear distinction between tribulation and wrath. There's a huge difference between tribulation and wrath. And that's the other thing. Like the word rapture, I think as a church, we've gotten in the habit to call Daniel's 70th week the tribulation or the great tribulation. There is, the book of Revelation is about the wrath of God. All right? There's tribulation that will come on the saints, but the wrath of God will be poured on the unbeliever. Amen. There are those that are appointed to tribulation and there are those that are appointed to wrath. Amen. And we're not appointed to wrath. That's why you can go through the book of Revelation and read it with joy. Because that is a book that is not to be scared of. That's a book that is to be read, first of all. Is the commandment. It says that the church should read that book. And it also says, Blessed are those who read, those who hear, and those that keep the words that are written in this book. Amen. So it also says that it is the revelation that God gave to Jesus concerning himself. It was a book given by Jesus to us. It is a gift to us, amen? And it's not something that we should be afraid of. You know, there's a fancy word in Bible school for the teaching of the last days. It's called eschatology. The church should not be afraid of eschatology. Uh, The church should study eschatology. We should know the times and seasons, amen? Mm -hmm. And so we should know to rightly divide the word of God. We know that the saints are not appointed to wrath But we are appointed to tribulation or affliction. Amen? Praise God. All right, so. I think you answered my question. Wrath is what comes at the end, and the tribulation is the trials that we go through in life as Christians. Persecution from the unbelievers. Wrath comes when the saints are gone. All right? When the saints are gone. Um, As a matter of fact, if you study that word caught away, another another um, um, lexicon says that the word means to take and put in a safe place away from harm. It says to put up away from harm, you know, like, uh, you know, where I would put the cookie jar away from my boys. I'd put it on the high place where they couldn't get to it. Amen. So they couldn't. Maybe cookie is not really, probably a good example, but you know what I mean, in a high place. So they couldn't break it. You, it's where you put something valuable, amen? Jeremy, yes. That, is described about the saints after gone. And what was the flip side of that wrath and Yeah, so chapter 110 is the verse for that we're not, um, that were delivered from the wrath to come. Uh-huh. And then chapter four, verse um, the chapter four, or no, chapter three, verse four, says that we are appointed to tribulation. We will have tribulation, but we're gonna have that's a, yeah, but this that's what I was saying. we call, we call the last seven years in the book of Revelation. We, we call that the tribulation as like a, a catchphrase. You'll have troubles. But as a whole, people tend to re- refer to the seven years as the tribulation. You know, it's the tribulation. But it's, if you study it out correctly, there is three and a half of good, three and a half of bad. And when he calls, when Jesus talks about the great tribulation, he's talking about the, the latter portion. But you're, you're of the of life, but the I'm talking about tribulation, persecution for your belief. All right. All right. So let's be clear on that. Okay. I'm going to get I'm going to deal a little bit in this study with Daniel's 70th week, but not in depth. But there'll be some places in Thessalonians that tells us that we must needs go there. But I'm not going to go there tonight. Praise God. It, <laughs> with 10 minutes left. <laughs> All right. So, chapter 3, verse 5. Now, for this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means that the tempter had tempted you and our labor was in vain. All right. So he was concerned about their steadfastness and their faith, you know, we got that. The tempter comes, doesn't he? The tempter tries to steal what God has done. You know, the Bible says that we're to be slow to speak. And it never fails when you get a young believer full of zeal in the Lord, they grab that microphone, and they begin to give God praise. And maybe all of a sudden, maybe a gift of the Holy Spirit begins to be stirred up in them like a prophecy or an exhortation or a gift of discernment. And they begin to move in the Holy Ghost. It never fails, man. I can just hear boom, 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 but um boom 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 boom, ba dum. Another one bites the dust, man. You know, it's just The tempter, he just comes to snatch them. The minute they begin to speak and begin to glorify God, he just comes in and takes them out. And what Paul comes to do here is he's coming to establish them in what? In grace. Because let me tell you something. When that young believer, he gets tempted and the tempter tries to take him out, The first thing he's going to deal with is shame. I failed. Look at me. I'm miserable. You know, I've stood up in front of the church. Now I'm just a fool. Now they're all going to think I'm a hypocrite. I'm no good. I don't even know if I'm saved anymore. But that's why we need the gospel of the grace of God. Hey, brother, look, man. No, you keep going. The Bible says if we confess our faults, our sins, he is faithful and just. We have an advocate. We have Jesus. God sees you as Jesus. Plead the blood, repent, ask for forgiveness, and move on and be done with it. But man, we've got people in the church, they fall one time, they've got to go through like four or five or six months of pure hell trying to get back to where they were because they're so burdened by their grief and guilt. Right. The grief and guilt was taken in Jesus' hands and in his feet and on his head. The pain, the suffering, the bleeding, the bruising. Amen. He took that all. That we, yeah, that we don't have to carry that. You know, I I know about you. I know about me. I wasn't good when I started this thing. It wasn't my great character that brought me into the kingdom. It certainly wasn't my great looks. (laughs) You know, it was faith, man, huh? Faith. So this is what Paul's concerned about. He knows. I mean, he's only there three weeks and he had to establish leaders in the church Leaders in the church only been saved three weeks. The thing I've learned is God doesn't bring condemnation on you. The devil brings condemnation on you when you fall away from the Lord. The Lord brings conviction on you, telling you softly you're going in the wrong direction. Come back this way. The devil wants to bring that condemnation that you're talking to, yep. you want to. give up. Exactly. The devil is—he doesn't have a concept of grace. He doesn't understand grace, because you know why? He's never received it. He never will. Because what's the first thing he tries to make you feel like? He hits you with, oh, you sinned, and now you're no good. But I was a sinner before Jesus made me good. You know, that's not my qualification. Being good is not the qualification. And he tries to make you feel like, well, if you hadn't have done that, you'd have been okay. Well, no, that's not not true. That's works. That's law. That's not faith. So, he's concerned, says in verse 5, the tempter had tempted you. I wanted to make sure that we didn't labor in vain, you know, because he knows that the devil's going to come in and tempt them and try to make them fall. In verse 6, but look at this, but now when Timothy came from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith and your charity or your love, and that you have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us, and we also to see you. So you can just hear the joy in Paul's voice there. They didn't forget about him. You know, it wasn't just a, uh, a quick three-week revival and then everybody went back to living like the devil again. You know what I mean? It was a, it took root. Amen. How many know the gospel took root in your heart? It took root in my heart and I praise God for it. Amen. So in verse seven, he says, Now, brethren, we were comforted, we were comforted over you and all of our affliction and distress by your faith. So in other words, all the beatings, All those things that I listed in Corinthians chapter 11 there, it didn't mean nothing because they were comforted by their faith. For now we live, he says, if you stand fast in the Lord. Notice what he says there. Where is the uh, for we what? For now we live. Hebrews says now faith is. Amen. Faith is now, amen? Now is the day of salvation. Now is the day to turn from God. Oh, brother, I'll come to church in a couple of weeks. I just got to, you know, or maybe next year, or, hey, I got, this, I got this bachelor party planned up in Vegas. I'll come to the Lord after that's done. No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says now is the day. And as far as us living for God, he says, now we live. And what's the key to living? Standing fast in the Lord. How many here are born again? Raise your hand. Every hand. You know what? We're all ruined. If you ever went back into the world again, you'd never have a good time. You're done. You are done. You know, we will never, we're ruined because no matter what we do in the world, we will never be satisfied again. We've tasted heaven. Something's happened on the inside of us and we will never be the same. And so because of that, we live now as we stand fast in the Lord. That's the only place to stand. That's the only place I have left to stand. You know, the Bible says, having done all to stand, Stand. therefore stand. Now that you've done everything to stand, stand, you know. Now that you've come to Bible study, now that you've worshiped God tonight, when you go home tonight, stand in your faith. When the devil tries to beat you up, stand in your faith. Yes. Verse 9, for what thanks can we render to God again for you? For all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God. In other words, that's just a fancy way of saying, man, we don't even have the words to, how can we even express how thankful we are to God? We're so happy for you. Night and day, verse 10, praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Paul obviously knew he only had three weeks with these guys. You know, he'd like to, you know, give them some more revelation. Verse 11, Now God himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you, and the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you and to the end that he may establish your hearts unblameable in the holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. What a great prayer to pray over people, Amen. amen? That's just, I pray that right now over you. I say, I pray that, Lord, the people in this room, Lord, that you would make them to increase... And that you would make us, Lord, to abound in love toward one another. And toward all men, God, even as we love toward you. Let my love that I have for you spread out to everybody that I see in front of me, Lord. And to the end may establish your heart unblameable in the holiness before God, even our Father, At the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with the saints. Amen. Amen. I want to see you in the clouds. Amen. Amen. I'll see you in the cloud. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. And isn't it interesting in chapter three, he ends the chapter again with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He ends every chapter in Thessalonians with the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. So praise God. Amen. Hope you enjoyed that tonight. Got something out of that? Any questions, comments, or criticisms? Um, If you got to go, we love you. You're dismissed. You want to hang around? You're more than welcome to do that as well. Praise God. Pastor, we thank you.